podcast is brought to you by Ancestors. Ancestors is the UK's largest bleach-free, plastic-free and gynaecology-approved period care brand. From 100% organic cotton tampons, pads and liners to reusable period pants and period cups, Ancestors has got you covered. There's no nasties here. Period. Check out our range at Ancestors.com. Welcome to Sisterhood, the podcast with me, Lucy Lettuce, co-founder of eco-period care brand Ancestors. Firstly, I'd like to caveat that when I refer to the word woman in these podcasts, this is referring to anyone assigned female at birth. I want the trans and non-cis community to be included and represented in all conversations discussed in this podcast. Airing weekly, I'll be discussing everything from fertility, pregnancy, childbirth and postpartum life to parenting in general. In the few days running up to my little one's due date, I was just astounded at how little information I knew about antenatal, natal and postnatal life and about this fictional village that is so often spoken about. So Sisterhood, the podcast, is all about bringing together professionals, informed individuals and those that have just been there before to be the village in your phone and in your ear. My guest this week is tongue tie trainer and educator Carmel Gentle. Heading up the tongue tie centre in southwest London, Carmel and her team are bridging the gap between NHS service provision and private practice. So, welcome, Carmel. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I'd love to, for you to kind of give a little intro to yourself. Thank you, Lucy. Thanks for having me. I'm Carmel. I am. I'm a midwife by background, and I kind of fell into kind of the feeding realm yeah uh, so I, I qualified as a midwife in 2006 so many years now <laughs> and started my time in like the NHS kind of always had this kind of desire to want to be kind of an independent midwife and work kind of outside of kind of the hospital NHS but it, it took me kind of a long while to kind of get there as kind of fell into different roles within the hospital system yeah. but that is kind of kind of led me to my where I am now so I am so grateful for all of those experiences and um, I knew nothing actually about tongue tie I didn't get trained in tongue tie as a midwife most kind of practitioners don't yeah and so um, I had no knowledge of it and I have got two children which even at that point of kind of breastfeeding my own children didn't was nothing it was nothing that I was aware of I came out of both kind of feeding experiences feeling quite positive that we had a kind of a kind of lengthy journey I think second time my second daughter who's now 11 I kind of thought that I, you know, I didn't want to end the journey sooner than she wanted to, whereas I felt like I ended it um, kind of sooner than my eldest and I were both ready. And so I kind of took the time with her and, you know, we had a long four year breastfeeding journey. And from at that point in time, I thought I had a really positive experience with feeding her. And and we did in the sense of like the time and that's what I was measuring the positive experience. Whereas actually when I reflect on it now, we had so many challenges but we could have moved through it without really realizing and knowing or knowing where to seek help but due to the length of time that I was able to feed her for um there was a certain point in time where I remember wanting to stop but didn't know how to stop so I kept going because it was the easiest thing to do yeah um and I think I'd probably still be feeding her at 11 <laughs> if I hadn't <laughs> kind of stepped in um but um I kind of took that and thought well we had a 
quite a positive experience. I wanted other people to also have a positive experience. And I kind of fell into kind of come, had in, coming from a background of, you know, birth center, um, postnatal wards, and, you know, birth, uh, that, that was kind of what I did in the hospital to yeah. then going back into work after maternity leave and um, being in the community, I started seeing a lot more families struggling with breastfeeding yeah and I think that was a side when you're in hospital you don't really see it because you get them latching after birth yeah then they go and you never see them again <laughs> realizing there were so many families that were struggling and as like it, it came as a bit of a shock because I didn't I really didn't realize yeah. it and so I was kind of an honest mission to help others have a positive uh, breastfeeding experience and so a job role came up in the last hospital that I worked in and okay. I kind of went for it I got it and that was where things really started and I think just by being in that kind of kind of more focused zone of support yeah. I was seeing more families kind of suffering with the kind of symptoms that show up yeah. when baby tongue-tied yeah and uh, that led me down the tongue-tie journey and, and training journey um and I remember at the time asking my kind of managers can I do this training and at the from their point of view they didn't see it as a need I mm. guess it comes from not seeing it you know you don't mm. see it in the practice you don't see it if you're in the hospitals or behind office yeah. walls yeah. they just they felt like oh there's not a need for that no why would we train you so I went on and did my own training if you told me no I typically like yep I can do it <laughs> so amazing it. <laughs> anyway and I got myself trained I paid for my training and then I tried to bring that into the hospital setting and wanted to kind of help families before they went home before it was becoming too difficult and tried to set up a postnatal ward service which at the time this is 2015 now and there was just a lot of resistance a lot of kind of other practitioners within pediatrics you need to have on board when you're working with babies and so there was a lot of resistance and I got to this kind of point tipping point really it's like do I keep fighting this or do I go out and do it my own and then I chose to go out and do it my own and I left the NHS at that time and just started working privately Amazing. and supporting families and I didn't really know that this was the road I was going down I thought well I, I can't work there anymore I'm just going to come out and see what happens and very quickly you know word of mouth referrals were coming and I was very busy um as there are so many <laughs> uh facing challenges with this so it's kind of evolved from there COVID times pandemic times brought me down a whole nother kind of journey with it because everything else closed I was also again at another tipping point can I work can I not work yeah with everything that was going on um, but there was a real need for it. There were desperate families, you know, even simply getting, can you come and weigh my baby? Like there was the services, mm -hmm. were, as you know, we all know, was was shut down. So I was so busy and so overwhelmed as well as homeschooling and <laughs> doing all the other things yeah. that came with that time. But actually it, it really showed me another direction in the way that I now work. And I remember going to see a family at that time and this was kind of a, kind of pivotal point in my work now and what I do now is that this mum came to me and struggling with feeding there was um everything she was describing you know I was so sure I was going to see a tongue tie mm -hmm. in this baby and and I remember looking and assessing and as I was moving and mobilizing the tongue there was nothing there there was no tongue tie there mm -hmm. um but when I 
what I was seeing from when I first started the consultation to by the time we finished, this tongue couldn't move to then fully moving and doing things it couldn't do before and the latch improving just mm. from getting the tongue moving and the muscles moving and what I started to learn more about and what I talk about now and teach about now is around the muscular structures oral function um and or, or dysfunction when the tongue is there's lack of mobility impacting the way that tongue is able to move and function um and that really was kind of a light bulb moment for me and so this is what I do now and I thought at that time well if I teach more people I was overwhelmed at the time <laughs> if I could teach more people maybe I'm not surprised <laughs> overwhelmed with all the you know amount of people needing help I was like I can't see everybody by myself but actually if I train more people maybe we can all together collectively and this ripple effect of, of you know seeing others learn it in this way from a functional point of view in terms of feeding and tongue tie well, then we can get to help more people. And then that's where my training academy uh, kind of was first thought of and first kind of born. Amazing. Um, and I started training in 2021. Amazing. And, and how, yeah, and how, how is it now? How how many people have you trained? Or, um, yeah, how kind of, how yeah. big is the, the team? How many? So I have 10, 15 they're still in training so some have yeah. kind of finished completed and yeah. had about 15 students um enrolling and progressing that the training has taken a lot longer than I first thought it would and that's because of the complexities and what we're learning and just through this whole teaching and training process my learning has elevated so much more in understanding the oral function and um, getting the opportunity opportunity to see families for much longer duration than I ever had before has really taught me loads and actually it's it, it just goes to show the complexities of kind of just not only feeding and that changes all the time um but yeah. the oral function's impact on beyond breastfeeding so yeah. eating solid foods definitely sleeping breathing it's so much wider than we were ever taught um as tongue tie practitioners um and so it, it's going really well and I think it's even you know for those who don't treat tongue ties there's also that side of training where I you know people who are in the lactation support realm can still support families with oral yeah. function without being able to cut a tongue tie because it's so much more than cutting the frenulum yeah. which yeah uh, the restricted um tie uh, it's so much more than that and that's just the really the one part of the puzzle and there's so much more kind of around it which we we ought to be aware of actually yeah, so it's, it's, it's going really well. And I think it's the, the experiences the families are receiving from coming to what, it, what I have is the donation clinic. So yeah. opportunity for families to be supported who might not be able to access private support, but also for the kind of student learners to be able to facilitate the support and kind of that learning environment. So yeah it's amazing busy, but it's, yeah I mean what a journey you've been on especially I think you know the last couple of years I think yeah COVID has impacted everyone in so many different ways um but yeah. you know it's amazing that yeah you kind of managed to kind of continue and grow this community and I guess help people in yeah ways that you kind of didn't necessarily expect well I mean yeah it sounds absolutely amazing so I'd love to very briefly go back so you mentioned your training as a midwife I would just love to know kind of how you ended up and how you ended up there really and kind of maybe not necessarily your earliest years but yeah sort of what led you to want to train as a midwife and yeah working with, yeah. with women <laughs> babies I think 
you know when you're younger and you know your parents ask you what do you want to be when you grow up and yeah. I remember wanting to be a pediatrician actually no no okay. first I wanted I wanted to be a mummy that's yeah that was always there and Amazing. then I wanted to be a pediatrician <laughs> okay um, and so I I I'm grateful that that wasn't my journey because I really love what I do now and I think yeah it would have that who knows where I'd be but I was 13 when my younger brother was born okay and I was so desperate I was desperate <laughs> to be at his birth but um <laughs> I wasn't so pleased that my mum was having another baby when I was 13 and I was like, this, <laughs> this isn't right I'm supposed to be the lucky child <laughs> um mixed, but, feelings. So was, mixed feelings but for most of her pregnancy I really didn't engage with the pregnancy but then she was about she was near to kind of give him birth and I was there was this deep desire to want to be there and yeah. and I remember that night that she went into labor and she didn't wake me up and then had the baby and he pretty much was my first child because I Aww. took him under my wing and I you know he from co-sleeping with him and yeah. you know, waking up to prepare feeds for him I, I did it all and and so then you know, I didn't get to see his birth, but there was a deep connection to wanting to. Yeah. And then my, my sister, who's six years older than me, um, had my nephew when I was 15. Okay. So, right, this is my opportunity. I want to be there. I yeah. Want to be I want that I <laughs> made it so clear that the time came, she gave birth, and I was fortunate to be there. And so I remember she had an epidural. So she was loving life. <laughs> yeah. Was <that> <laughs> um, and I was there, right, right. And you know, kind of front row seats, and yeah. just was able to immerse and observe. And I think actually more than the birth, the birth was fascinating. You know, it wasn't a kind of straightforward birth, but I was just so in in awe of everything that was happening. But the yeah. midwife was so open to communicating what was going on, what was happening. I remember yeah. after the first, she was showing me the placenta, and I was just like, "This is <gasps> awesome! <laughs> I want to do this." And literally, that's that's. I never looked back after that. That's. I went on to college. Um, I was 17, 18 when, you know, I got into midwifery yeah. and 21 I qualified and started working. So I, I had no, once I saw, I, I, there was no going back for me. There was nothing oh else I wanted goodness. to do. Even now, I wouldn't know what else to yeah. do if I stopped doing this work. It's amazing how like these experiences and how you feel when you're younger does definitely like imprint on you and make you feel a certain way or feel that you are kind of drawn to do something. I think that's like a such a good example of that. Yeah, such an amazing story. Well, um, thank you for sharing that. So then obviously this, this podcast is all about kind of shedding light on different areas within childbirth and um, everything sort of pre-baby post-baby and so I'd love if you don't mind to just, just explain a little bit about oral dysfunction and tongue tie and you know what it is how new parents might kind of find out that they that their baby has it um just a little bit of background on it really tongue tie tongue tie has been around for a long time most people may not have heard it until they're having their own baby um most practitioners will not have heard it it or, or know what it is or how to assess it if they've never been trained in how to assess it and um, because it is not integral part of training typically I think now you know it is around it is a buzzword and people are yeah. knowing about it but how to assess it is is still missing I think and so what it is is that everyone has a frenulum so if you look underneath your tongue mm-hmm. there's going to be that kind of band what, what appears to be a band of kind of 
tissue or skin or underneath every one of our tongues. And for some people that is restricted. So it's the tissue itself is restricted and it can be shortened. It can be thick. It can be inelastic and that then impacts how the tongue is able to move. And when the mobility is impacted, that impacts the function. So the function of sucking for a baby, swallowing, breathing, uh, impacts the digestive system. So it's it for, for many parents, they might not recognise what it is, and it's not necessarily their place to be trying to make that kind of diagnosis. But what will show up typically when a baby is struggling is um symptoms within kind of usually their feeding um in the earlier days and so when the tongue is in terms you can mention oral dysfunction so when the tongue is restricted and it's impacting how the tongue is able to move that kind of creates this oral dysfunction tongue's not able to function in the way that it it needs to that can also happen when there is not a tongue tie as well okay Uh, and that's that's typically because of the muscular structures that surround the tongue are impacted by it could be birth so if there was say forceps or one two so a really fast birth there can be a lot of tension that is kind of created in the kind of head and neck um and then that can impact how the tongue is able to move and so you've got okay. 16 <laughs> muscles that surround the tongue and they and they can be compact uh, impacting how the tongue is able to elevate how the tongue is able to move forward cup and create suction Right. Um, and so then you can imagine then these factors then impacting how the baby's able to latch or, or yeah. take a bottom. And and so the symptoms that might present are the things that kind of it'd be what parents are observing in their baby. And that's really when you're wanting to seek support if things aren't going very well yeah. um, or you're needing just some kind of opinion on it. Um, so in terms of kind of latching on the things that might show up in those early days or consistently for months sometimes is like sore nipples and that's often because baby when there's tension there or is a restricted friendly limb the baby has to compensate in some way and so one of the things that they can do is instead of using their tongue or engaging their tongue because it's difficult to, they create a clamp. So they want to feed, there's you know, that uh-huh. instinct to feed. And so then they clamp down to hold on to the breast yeah. um, and create that latch. And so um, they found a way to manage to get on, which is yeah. the way that they can then get their milk. And, yeah. you know, it may present as pain um, or sometimes not, not everybody experiences pain, but it can present as pain or feels like your baby is biting or they've got teeth. And that's that kind of clamping um, action that they then have to do in order to compensate for the tongue, not able, not being able to create a vacuum. Right. Some of the symptoms might include kind of ineffective milk transfer. So they're just because they can't create that vacuum or they can't yeah. lateral, they're not able to get the milk out as easily. So that might cause significant weight loss in those early days more than say 10 percent is often what um the kind of measure of kind of weight loss in those yeah. uh, that first week after birth you know the midwife might be checking their weight and they it's more than 10 percent then they're mm. thinking what else is going on they might refer that baby in for extra checks yeah. so you kind of get usually a kind of quite a rapid weight loss in those early days and that's particularly yeah. because the colostrum is quite hard to get out yeah so in those first three four days if there's a delay in milk coming in say five days for some people if it's it's often because the tongue's not been able to apply 
optimal kind of yeah, pressure, pressure. Of yeah. negative pressure to remove the milk effectively, which is thick and sticky, yeah. um, which can then impact the way the milk comes in. Yeah. And and so, you know, that baby might be feeding really, really frequently, trying to get it out, but it's not yeah. coming out easily. And so then you get this, all these kind of factors start to kind of come into play. And so that could be a factor. Jaundice, kind of prolonged jaundice, again, yeah. in effect, milk transfer might be impacting that. Mastitis, block ducts. Um, again, that's about ineffective milk transfer. And yeah. so there are many kind of signs and symptoms that are sometimes perceived as normal. Oh, that's mm. normal to come, that all settle. Um, but, you know, any pain at all in, like, no pain at all is 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 normal for yeah. feeding. And yeah. I think there's this misconception that, you know, actually it's painful the first few mm. weeks and then it just settles. If there is pain, it's, you know, you might get that initial latch, which might be a bit sore, and then it it kind of goes after five or ten seconds but mm. if it's con- if it's continuing that's something to be thinking about you know yeah. why is it continuing what's happening uh to the latch to cause this mm. it could be sometimes just simple positioning and attachment techniques and that's always the first place to start with mm. all of these things because whether there's a tongue tie or not if the latch isn't optimal or as optimal mm. as it can be the baby has to create compensation in order yeah. to maintain a shallow latch which yeah. then further feeds the restriction yeah um, definitely and so um it's just being observed I think for the parent from the parent's point of view it's just always being in that observer mode you know what's yeah. happening why is it happening um reflux is a big one that comes hand in hand with yeah. or dysfunction um and colicky symptoms um, you know, colic okay. is is not really a diagnosis. Reflux is not either. You know, it's it's a symptom of something else going yeah. on. Usually. So I'm always in that kind of investigator kind of mode. Okay, why is that happening? Yeah. How is the baby following to yeah. cause reflux symptoms, excess yeah. weight? Um, and so it, it's really looking again closely. Okay, what's going on with the feed to cause some of these symptoms? Yeah. Um, um, I'm trying to think what else. <laughs> and, no, and so just just to kind of recap, so if, for example, a baby's bottle fed, weight loss and potentially reflux or colicky symptoms would be probably like the top two that would be the kind of key factors in understanding that a baby might have tongue tie if they weren't, for example, being breastfed. Because obviously if a baby's being breastfed, you know, it's that, you know, yeah. mostly pain. Um, yeah. But actually potentially it might go unnoticed if they're being bottle fed and yeah, potentially they're just, you know, losing weight or they have kind of reflux. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think bottle feeding families will, in terms of the NHS support, not all hospitals will assess or refer right. for a baby that's being bottle fed, unfortunately. Right. And they can equally have quite significant right. problems. Yeah. So reflux, yeah, gulping air, taking in uh, yeah. a lot of wind with the, the, the with the feed yeah. um, can then trigger the reflux symptoms, you know, vomiting right. uh, yeah. or silent reflux, colicky symptoms, dribbling milk out the side, right. okay. uh, clicking sounds so they can't maintain the hold, whether the breast or bottle, they can't maintain that latch yeah. uh, or that seal. Okay. And they can, that, that kind of constant kind of feedback of having a stressful feed whether you know if they're gulping air what I see Mm. often is that babies then pull off and gasp for air um Mm. and 
you know that it kind of forms a negative loop cycle and that then that becomes what they're almost expecting at times and so that can lead to sometimes a bre- uh, breast or bottle aversion where they actually right. you know it's difficult i'm not yeah they don't want it anymore. yeah and and so they kind of turn away from their feeds they do back arching them um, they're really uncomfortable digestively yeah. um and so if these things are showing up you know oftentimes a parent might go to their GP and say this is showing up for my baby which all of these symptoms can overlap with or the refluxy colicky symptoms can overlap with what the GP sees as just kind of typical reflux and then prescribe medications for it if that's the case we I I would want to go back a step and say actually let's have a look at the feed what's going on with the feed how is that latching how wide are they how deep are they and how are they swallowing um because if we can't address those factors, often the medication puts a little bit of a band-aid sometimes or doesn't nothing yeah. at all. And then they're on a cycle of increasing medications where we're not actually looking for yeah, the, the actual problem. root cause. Yeah. 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 So interesting. It's weird to kind of think back to the early days when I was breastfeeding and I, de- you know, the, obviously the first couple of days it's, it is an adjustment. You're kind of figuring out, you know, yeah. How, yeah, how to latch, you know, if you're doing it right, obviously, as you said, the kind of change of colostrum to, to normal milk. And I definitely had moments where I wondered if my baby had tongue tie, but I think I, in the end, it was more of a latch thing with a bit of support. We managed to find like some, some, yeah, some good positions. And after the first I would say a couple of weeks, <laughs> things did settle. And yeah, definitely like mirror your comment about, you know, breastfeeding should not be painful. I think that was one thing that, especially amongst like the other the new mums I was speaking to, it was very much like if you are trying to breastfeed and, you know, after those first couple of days and weeks, it is painful, then definitely, you know, it's worth like, you know, doing a bit of research and pursuing another, another route or finding out what, yeah, the root cause might be from my experience. Exactly. And it's finding, you know, someone who will give you that time to assess the feed. And if they're going to do an oral assessment that they're putting on gloved, you know, gloved finger in the baby's mouth to physically assess how well the tongue is able to mobilise. Because, you you know, from the clients that I've seen, you know, many families have reported, oh, they just looked in the mouth and couldn't see it. You know, they're just visually looking. Yeah. You're not going to... Yeah, feel, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. And then, so in terms of if a family came to see you um, and they kind of believe that their baby did have tongue tie and you kind of did an assessment and um, confirmed that they did, I wondered if you'd be able to give a little bit of an explanation as to kind of what the next steps were. And I, I think this is like a fr- philosophy. Is that right, the right word? <laughs> yes. <laughs> So often families will reach out or they'll book directly online. I have a clinic space now, so they'll tend to come to see us in clinic. And first of all, it's understanding where they are at now. And I'm yeah. you know, always trying to meet the families where they are at currently. Yeah. Um, and then we go back a step and ask, I want to know more about the birth, what happened. Because again, I'm in that inquiry kind of mind where I want to see what else other than kind of the latch issues might be impacting where this baby is at now so what's happened with birth what was blood loss like was it a positive experience for them because we know about you know the impact on kind of stress hormone on oxytocin milk supply so it's it's really kind of gathering all the information I want to understand how feeding was in those early days and 
you know, how think how they kind of progress through those phases. Yeah. And what's the current challenges right now with feeding? I think Lacan, depending on, I do see a lot of older babies um, okay. now, so I want to understand, you know, what's that kind of weaning journey been like? Did they struggle with eating lumpier texture foods? Are they not able to manage food where they are right now? What's their milestones like? Really important yeah. one because, you know, oftentimes babies who have got tongue tie or there's tension or dysfunction, they quite often dislike being in tummy time. And again, it's often where they just there's not the space in their kind of neck, and so right. they're really okay. tight in their upper body. Um, and to kind of be able to to go on your tummy and not be able to look up <laughs> is hard to do. Yeah. Hard to be in that state when you're a baby, and it, they're kind of getting to fight or flight mode with it. So you know, what's their milestones? Are they rolling? Have they always rolled to one side? Is there any head preference? And then like start to kind of assess and see what's going on and then we're starting in kind of around their body seeing what's going on taking photos just to see because when I incorporate certain kind of exercises or things for them to continue continue to do we often then see changes and so it's always nice for the family so actually because they're in it 24 7 it's hard to sometimes see the changes but actually when you compare photo by photo this yeah. is how they were when they started this is where they're at now you can see clear differences and then I tend to assess the tongue function last. Most babies, if they're restricted in some way, they're very they can be quite guarded. And so okay. going into the mouth can be doesn't always feel nice for them. They're not used to having fingers in the mouth often either. Yeah. Um and yeah. so kind of looking at how well that tongue is able to mobilize and then seeing if they are restricted, if there's a visible frenulum, how tight is it? Where is yeah. it? positioned and is it something that potentially could benefit from dividing um and so that like you said the frenulotomy is the procedure to do to divide the tongue tie and it can sound quite for new parents especially you like you're going to cut my baby's tongue it's it can feel quite uh, yeah it's so counterintuitive <laughs> what we want to do for our babies and it's really having a thorough assessment to understand is this really is this actually needed because the friendly loss me itself is not a magic fix unfortunately I, I, I wish it was it can help and give some initial relief sometimes but we're we're you know performing a minor surgery and it creates a wound that has open edges and so with that we have a wound that you get this diamond shape and that diamond wants to come back down on itself because we have to still work the muscles around it so I kind of go through a process with the families that I see actually let's incorporate some oral exercises let's get your baby using their tongue in ways that they haven't been, yeah they've been compensating for and then let's review so we'll have those babies that then will truly be tongue-tied and need that procedure and then you know we still have choices and it's you know some parents I have had where actually things have really improved that they don't want to do the procedure at this point and so they've got time to think about it and you know come back if they needed to in the future and then we've got those tongue ties that, or those frenulums that were seeming restricted and the muscle structure was very tight and restricted lots of tension going on and actually from doing incorporating some oral work with these babies oral therapy all the structures underneath the tongue absolutely change. Their tongue can move in different ways. And actually there is no need to do a surgical procedure because there wasn't a true tie to begin with. It was everything else around it causing restriction. 
And so when we talk about doing a frenulotomy, we're not getting rid of the frenulum. It is dividing it essentially to help it often further forward towards the front of the tongue. Um, and so we want to enable that frenulum to go further back and be longer in its length so it gives the tongue um, bigger range of motion. Right, um, okay. So and then improve how it's able to function, create cupping, suction, um, elevation and extension. Just so interesting. And so I have two questions, which I initially, I wanted answers to, but I think maybe I now know, but which I hear so often kind of spoken about with tongue tie and if a baby does need to have this procedure. So the first one is, does the baby feel anything? Yes, absolutely. Um, they do because... They are small versions of ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> they do feel things. And what I do see is that it's very short lasting. We have to weigh up, you know, with all of anything that we do, Definitely. you know, weighing up the risks and the benefits of, of all of it. If we were to sedate or do a general anesthetic, we have to weigh up that risk of the anesthesia versus the risk of this procedure, which is yeah. more minor. When we create space underneath the tongue and we incorporate oral exercises, what I have seen is that the, the, the floor of the mouth structure changes. And so where, where everything is tightened far forward, there'll be more nerve endings, there'll be more blood supply. When you release that through oral therapy, actually, I feel like they feel less pain. Or that you, you can tell in terms of their response, in terms of how they cry, uh, how much they cry after their response is definitely seeming less when there's more space in the floor of mouth because those nerve endings and blood supply is much further away from where we're cutting. Yeah. Okay. And the second question is, you know, we, you briefly touched earlier on sort of how, you know, what the objective is and how you'd hope that it works. You know, is it possible that babies might need to have this procedure more than once? Sometimes. Um, sometimes they are having it more than once because... So when I when I when I hope you see babies is that they they get to a point where actually we're gonna do it once and that's that's it. Yeah. <laughs> However, there you know, sometimes scar tissue can be as restrictive as the uh frenulum. Yeah. More restrictive than yeah. was itself before. And so scar tissue is part of the healing process. Yeah. There will always be scar tissue. Um and sometimes that may be you know, the feeling doesn't always improve immediately or things change over time as that baby gets bigger um, and and, start, and and their oral function is developing. And so that, if that scar tissue is tight, if we can't work it through with more oral work or scar tissue remodeling, then in some cases, another division may be beneficial depending on what symptoms are at the time. And if, if a baby has had a tongue-tie division and they haven't incorporated oral work sometimes, then they get it done in the first instance. Because the structures have all been brought forward through immobility of the tongue, where the division is done, you don't often, you may not always see tissue that is frenulum tissue that is kind of, kind of hidden behind okay. all of the tension. And so as that baby grows and develops, what you can then see is more frenulum tissue comes forward and there is more restriction. So some babies over time have needed um, more than one division. Right. Um, but yeah, we, it, it does depend on kind of how, I guess, how we incorporate oral therapy yeah. as well as just treating tongue tie. If we're treating just the tongue tie alone without anything else, mm. that's when I see more babies having 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think kind of what I'm understanding is that it's sort of, you know, having this procedure is not just a kind of, you know, covers all bases and like magical cure. It's, it is a step that can be taken as well as a, like numerous other kind of supporting steps to kind of reach a, a goal. But it's definitely not a miracle cure and it shouldn't be kind of, yeah, the decision shouldn't be taken lightly just because potentially you think that your baby does have tongue tie. By the sounds of it, there's, there's, as you say, kind of a lot more to it and a lot of other kind of steps that should be sort of investigated at the same time basically exactly there's multifactorial and I think when we look at birth we consider you know what's going on with birth lots of people are having inductions yeah uh, there's lots of you know, intervention there's more yeah. intervention now I think than ever and I think yeah. you know that in itself can cause tension within the body and so when we address like through say an osteopath or chiropractor to see what else might be going on and then we're looking at how the oral function is impacted and fully address the kind of feeding from just the yeah. basic positioning attachment level yeah. and then we seeing you know is this something that is needed right now i guess it's the tongue-tied division is not the th- you know it's not an emergency situation it very very rarely is it an emergency situation so we've got to look at what else is going on what other factors are in play here and what can we do first of all to help optimize how the baby's latching um, and what else might be going on kind of body-wise. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, super, super interesting. I think uh, definitely yeah, it gives me some food for thought thinking back. So obviously, you are based in London. So for any families in London, Carmel and the Tongue Tie Centre is based in Southwest London. For anyone that isn't based in London, are there any kind of other resources? I know we've discussed at the beginning kind of the NHS and potentially are there any other websites or individuals or kind of books or anything that any listeners might find useful? Because there's there's so much, I think there's a lot of noise yeah, out there. Definitely, <laughs> there's a lot of noise out there. <laughs> what you should be doing, could be doing, need to think about. And I think what I would first like you could go down a when you start to look at oral function. There's a lot more that you might be seeing over the pond in America, and I think they may be seeing it more from the kind of myofunctional perspective. And you can really go down a rabbit hole. Yeah. And then you start to look at these things and then you'd be like, oh my gosh, I can see some of these things in myself. Um, I've been down so many rabbit holes. (laughs) It it can be full on. And I think what I guess what I would say, especially for new kind of parents, it can be really overwhelming. And I think it's getting that balance of trying to do it all Mm. and actually just just reading your baby simply on a very basic level just read your baby what is showing up right now in this moment for your baby um because the symptoms that are showing up is the kind of clues and signs that mm, and there's also this inner feeling like for many parents you know then by the time they come to me like I knew it yeah 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 that gut instinct which which kind of trumps everything yeah um so there's that feeling you might not know what it is, but you know something's not quite right. That's yeah. the that is the thing to go on, and then it's about finding the person who can support you. Now, I, I I do get families from all over the country and far further afield to who come to see me, and you know that's not for everyone. And then also I then have a massive wait list, <laughs> wait time, you know, as as a kind of a result yeah. of that. Unfortunately, it isn't this type of work and the way that mm-hmm. I work isn't isn't across the board no. at the moment and so whilst there are things that 
you can start to implement and I know there's there's the kind of infant feeding specialist on Instagram has a lot of information yeah. around um, oral function there's um, myo moves there's milk matters PT and so it's kind of does stem a lot from the kind of PT and OT like uh, physiotherapists and occupational therapists role in America they, they are I see it a lot that they are yeah. kind of this is part of their work whereas PTs OTs over here particularly the NHS it, it hasn't seen it doesn't kind of seem to filter through at yeah. the moment um, maybe yeah and I think it's just the kind of way we've been trained perhaps hasn't quite caught up but uh, there's studies and there's research you know that talk about this yeah. and so it's not a new thing but it's it is still uh, very new <laughs> yeah in, in, in kind of the approaches that we are taking because I how I work now is definitely not how I was trained Right. Um, yeah. So that will be the case for a lot of tongue tie practitioners. So yeah. whilst families might be able to go and get tongue tie division, there is the there's a you know there's directory on looking at practitioners that who might be able to help you in your local area. They you talk to them about oral function, they might not comprehend um, it, or they might think they are doing it. But it's, there's there's ways in which we, we might need to do it. And so it's it's just asking questions and you know asking about you know any exercises that they might think about. Um, incorporating if you're looking at tongue division in the NHS again it would be something that's probably not looked at in this way and at the very kind of I guess the kind of basic level they might they'll do a tongue division and then it's if there's symptoms that are still presenting that's, in, yeah. that's the that's the time to kind of look for further support yeah no that's, that's um, really helpful it's not across the board and I think it, yeah. it's just really for the parents to start to kind of investigate a little bit more reach out infant feeding specialists as an oral play guide which yeah. um you can start to do things at home with your baby there are certain kind of uh, like tools and toys that you can start to bring in for your baby as they get older and so I think um, you know there are a few things that you can do, start to look into. But it's when the things are things are not changing, things not progressing or improving, that's the time to find someone who uh, might look at it a little bit differently. There yeah. will be soon a directory that I've got coming and tongue tie network. So currently there's a space where you can find tongue tie practitioners, but this will hopefully bring in tongue tie practitioners, osteopaths, kind of functional dentists, like people who understand this work from a functional point of view yeah and, and hopefully can then you know parents be like oh yeah I need that 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 yeah <laughs> and they can really start to bring in the people or services that can support them nav to navigate kind of this journey because it isn't it isn't uh, a quick journey and I say that in the sense that you know you get a tongue tie done you do a bit of oral exercises it, mm. it doesn't kind of I guess the question that parents ask me is is how long do I need to keep doing this for mm. And I find that very hard to answer because it's not, uh, there's almost not, the end point is always moving. <laughs> the yeah. goalpost is always moving because that baby's always growing. Right, the yeah. function is continually maturing until around age two. Mm. Um, and so, and scar tissue, if there has been a tongue tie division, takes about 18 months to heal. Right. And so whilst things can improve initially, scar tissue has that potential to tighten over the first couple of years, which in itself can cause restriction so you might think like things are great for the first three to four months and then suddenly things start to change and become difficult or challenging and actually it could be that a scar tissue they had they've had a cold or their teething and that disrupts their oral function and so now they're back into a place of limited mobility and so we've got to keep coming back to what's showing up 
for this baby because their proprioception of how their tongue moves and what it feels like will change as they grow. They don't have that conscious awareness that their tongue is their tongue and they can that they can control it. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. they're like an age and they're like, oh, like pulling at their tongue or they're looking at their tongue in the mirror. They don't have that connection or that awareness. And so we're trying to show them how they can optimize their movements uh, over time. And that changes as they get older. Yeah, definitely. So interesting. Well, yeah, my son is weaning at the moment. So I think everything's kind of oral is new and yeah. sometimes good, sometimes bad. Kind of figuring figuring that out. Yeah, it's it's a journey. It is. It is. <laughs> so I'd love to kind of ask a more kind of personal question now. So how um how has like your own experience kind of from having children impacted the work that you do? So much. <laughs> With my, oh, as I said earlier, my breastfeeding journey was kind of yeah. from feeding my own children and actually having, I'm glad I saw it in a positive way because as hard as it was, I never thought that was because of the breastfeeding. I thought the breastfeeding was helping me in the hard times that I was having. So yeah. some, for example, sleep was a huge factor and weight, weight gain for my youngest. And okay. so she wasn't gaining weight when I look at her red book now it was just like one flat line from start to to, until I stopped weighing her um (laughs) but I was always told oh she was sick this week so that's why she had you know pneumonia that week and that's why Mm. so she always had these upper respiratory kind of colds and illnesses um so kind of always she always kind of regressed a little bit and so and the sleep you know, I thought I smashed parenting and I had both children down at seven o'clock and at three months they were both you know, sleeping and I was like, and then that quickly changed and she would lay awake at night and not sleep for, you know, the first four mm-hmm. years. And so I, you know, really struggled with it, but we went through it and, it, you know, that brought up allergies and it brought mm. up, you know, eczema and mm. skin issues. And now I kind of look back in hindsight and I'm like, ah, oh, things make sense and I think having that experience with her although I didn't know it at the time and we moved through it and then we kind of had challenges with like separation and anxiety and going to school and things like that I think what I've learned from that experience is that where there's oral dysfunction it doesn't you know it doesn't you move through the stages and the phases there's things that are showing up but it doesn't it just it just changes as they get older and it moves into something different so that for mm. my youngest who is now 11 you know that was then kind of impacting how she slept so although she would sleep through the night it was a quality of sleep and so yeah tossing a turning you know, mouth breathing waking up dehydrated that then impacted her behavior and her mood mm. just knock on effect and so now I'm so much more fully aware of that and it was she was about nine and she said to me I can't lift my tongue up it hurts so I thought let me have a look at underneath your tongue. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's a bit tight in there. That's crazy. Um, and so I had no, no, I'd never looked at her under her tongue until yeah. that point. And she wasn't tongue-tied. I now know. I thought it was at the time, but all that muscular structure was just coming forward. Yeah. And so then I started to, now, now knowing what I know, okay, let me work with her on this and yeah. see what happens. And had a few assessments done and then got her engaged in a myo munchie which is something that I talk about quite a lot it's a kind of a chewing device okay Um, and I 
got her chewing on that. She was very invested because her teeth were being impacted. So right. with all function, tongue tie, it can long-term impact for some people can be how it impacts the cranial facial complex or how our face grows and the shape of our face and our shape of our palate. And so her palate, although she fed for a long time, her palate was very high and very narrow. And so this then impacts her ability to get her tongue up in suction and palate yeah. when sleeping, which then impacted her, her sleep for her mm-hmm. um, and so she, I got her chewing on this Maya Munchie or she was very invested and she was chewing on it <laughs> more than she needed to and the changes of her palate was which was very narrow when I took the first photo till I took one until I took one a week later and it had widened and the difference in her sleep at nine years old was incredible she slept so deeply she woke up because she's like oh my god I'm dreaming and <gasps> she you know and, and but the difference in her mood she was waking up refreshed she had energy yeah. and it was just like ah, like yeah, <laughs> it's learned isn't it it's learned experience it's um there's no sort of one one box fix all or um totally. you know, that type of approach parenting I think you just you just have to go with it and exactly and I think all the things around kind of you know tantrums that we had or big outbursts yeah. it's all about regulation and yeah. because I could breastfeed her thankfully like I mm. you know I kept going because it was a thing that helped her mm. it was easier to keep going than try and wean her off and I think she felt great comfort in that it helped stimulate the vagal nerve it helped her calm it helped her to regulate and then she it, you know our meltdowns were you know were less mm-hmm. as a result and sleeping wise although she would wake up on the hour every hour it was the thing that kept her going back to sleep so it it, it it's wild now when I think about it but actually you know I was just doing what was helping her in that moment not realizing you know some of these things were symptoms um of what we what she was experiencing and then now to see how she's kind of come through that and also understands it in a way that she's like okay I need you know I want to keep doing this yeah I feel better and this is how it, it does make her feel better when she starts doing all exercises or she starts mm. to use a Maya Munchie and and she's like oh when she first used it she goes oh my god this is so satisfying her tongue was actually getting into the palate and stimulating yeah. in ways that she never had felt before so yeah, she was she was hugely she was a fan it's so interesting. I think also, you know, when, when we discuss tongue tie, it's, it's so often with you know newborns, infants. Um, but I think, you know, what I'm what I'm taking from this is like it's amazing how oral function, you know, is with you your entire life. And especially for children who are kind of learning and developing all the time. But you know, the importance of that and actually to, as you say, to kind of you know, make note of it and understand if, you know, if something doesn't feel or sometimes look right. And yeah, that it is, it's lifelong. It's not necessarily just kind of newborns. We're going to move on now to kind of the last uh, bits of the podcast, which are hopefully a little bit uh, lighter touch. So the first section is quick fire questions. These are just um, super speedy for listeners to get to know you no right or wrong answer and um, just whatever comes to mind so the first quick fire question is what's your favorite quote motto or affirmation I've got it on my back of my iPad she dreams she dares she conquers because I'm like you know there's so many things I've, I, I you know yeah I've always, my mind is always like I can no that's something. a great one and, and I <laughs> love <laughs> no no <laughs> something new and I, I I'm so determined that 
I will do it. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that is a great one, especially for this podcast, a great one. Okay, next week, my question, best parenting hack? Taking time, well, that for me is, is yeah. which I, I've only learned it more and more recently, but that, and I think I probably resisted it actually, because I thought, like, oh no, I must be present. I must be here. I'm like, actually taking that time from me. Yeah. Because it helps me to refill my yeah. resources. My, 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 my cup is, empty yeah. and I'm running empty I need time I need to step back and actually that's okay yeah and but also like myself to do that definitely I think when you know as a parent as you know how you are is obviously how you parent as well so for you to be the best parent you need to also feel fully energized refreshed um and so on so yeah that's also yeah very important yeah. okay so top tip to unwind after a busy or stressful day I just get into bed. <laughs> <laughs> Are you an early nighter or? Um... Not really. I, I'll get into bed and, and just <laughs> yes. be my own. As soon as your head hits the pillow. Yeah. Hey, then the final section is Mythbusters, which is does tongue tie or kind of oral dysfunction run in families? Is it genetic? Okay, great. No, just simple as that. Yes, it is. Oh, yeah. perfect. Do you want? Do you, would you like to add anything else, or um, happy to see so, you there? It's a. It is. There's a genetic code for tongue tie, um, okay. and so it will run in families. And there's a study that shows that in kind of all the four, I think it was different generations that there was. You know, it it, it ran throughout the family line. So yeah, it's yeah. definitely um, when I see families, it's you know one or both parents will be tongue tied typically. Great, great answer. So, um, Carmel, thank you so much for joining us today. Her uh, Carmel's Instagram page is full of useful posts and videos, so do give her a follow. Her Instagram is Gentle Births and Beyond, um, and I'll pop that in the podcast notes. Carmel, thank you so much. Listeners, I will see you next week. Bye.